This Sunday on Capital Connection, Illinois becomes the first state in the nation to end cash bail. Most people who say, wait for justice, have never been on the receiving end of injustice. Governor Pritzker celebrates the new law on a traveling circuit with the Black Caucus. I am actually very confident that this is gonna make policing safer and it is going to make the public safer. And Republican State Senator Darren Bailey enters the race for governor. I will be a governor for the people of Illinois, guided by the lessons that I've learned from faith, family, and community. Plus, Speaker Madigan pressures his hand-picked successor to resign after just two days on the job. And our featured guest this week, Republican State Senator, longtime Cook County Prosecutor John Curran, who worked in Cook County's Civil Rights Defense Division. How he sees the restrictions on police use of force. And with a rash of carjackings in Chicago, House Democrat Marcus Evans wants to ban violent video games. He joins us to explain. It's all coming up on Capital Connection. From the Illinois State Capitol Rotunda, Capitol Bureau Chief Mark Maxwell is asking the tough questions. This is Capitol Connection. Welcome to Capitol Connection. I'm Mark Maxwell reporting from the Illinois State House on this Sunday, February 28th. Governor Pritzker took a victory lap this week, touring the state and celebrating the end of cash bail in Illinois, along with new restrictions on the police use of force and requirements for body cameras. This legislation marks a substantial step toward dismantling the systemic racism that plagues our communities, our state, and our nation, and brings us closer to true safety, true fairness, and true justice. Governor went around the state today signing an egregious law enforcement bill. This is a great start in helping to reverse the negative effects of mass incarceration in America. I'm sorry, but uh, there's some <laughs> there's some instances where we need to keep somebody in jail because they're a very, very bad person, and gun crimes is one of those. Some may forget that the systemic racism and discrimination that we fight against on a daily basis is not simply because we've heard about it from our constituents or other third-party sources. It is because we and our loved ones have experienced it, lived it, been traumatized by it, excluded by it, how does somebody that's never worked one day in the, in the street understand what law enforcement officers do? It, it's terrible timing, and it's unfortunate that the people, these uh, representatives and, and the legislatures that pass these bills, they're not out here on the streets. They don't know what's going on. But in the wake of George Floyd's murder, something else happened altogether. Those eight minutes and 46 seconds caused a national awakening shining the brightest of spotlights on the invisible sin of systemic racism that is embedded in our systems of government and in our laws. The horrible crimes committed in Minneapolis, Chicago, and across the nation caused by bad actors in law enforcement must come to an end. It's not tolerated. And as a Republican, I believe no person should have to live in fear of their government. And we must address those issues to make sure that that is true. House Bill 3653 doesn't do it. In short, it is a confusing, inoperable, and contradictory attempt to reform policing and the criminal justice system. Systemic racism has caused black people to have disproportionate contact with policing jails and prisons rather than with entrepreneurship, post-secondary education, and economic opportunities. It's very sad. It, it, at a time where we need people to be tough, we need the, the adjudication to be 
process to be tough on, on the gun crimes and the shootings. Uh, we need uh, uh, support from our legislatures and not uh, legislatures putting their fingers and saying the police are bad because um, I think uh, regular everyday people uh, know that the police aren't bad. You're going to lose law enforcement officers. Um, we have and a that's lot. That's not exaggerated? No, that is not exaggerated. The facts are the facts. We do have two Americas and we have two justice systems and we have to make them one. Our goal in this fight is to rid the state of Illinois of systemic racism. My colleagues and I have put in our time. This legislative victory is a step toward reimagining the criminal justice system altogether. People in Illinois have been divided. We've been used, we've been mocked, we've been marginalized. People in Illinois have been ignored based on their race. Opponents of this law don't want any change, don't believe there is injustice in the system, and are preying upon fear of change to lie and fearmonger in defense of the status quo. You're saying that Republicans are defending systemic racism. I think change is hard for many of them, and many of them uh, may not live in communities where they really understand what that means. Uh, so I don't uh, put any ill will on that. Uh, I just think that we need change in the state. This is a massive victory for the black community, but it's truly a victory for all communities and all marginalized people, and it will reverberate for decades. The Champaign uh, Bail Coalition that is represented here today, they only came about because we had so many citizens going to our county jail who could not afford to bail out of small amounts. And out of that necessity, the bail coalition was born here in Champaign-Urbana. The elimination of cash bail basically says that we respect the honor system for violent criminals and gang members. Yes, the honor system. Uh, the one person that hates a bad police officer most is police officers. What we wanted to see and what we still hope we so see. Why don't they speak out more? We are. That's the one of the things, as, and you are, that is a great question, actually. As police officers, we don't feel like it's been our place to speak out. We feel like... Uh, we better not say anything. We're here to, we'll be judged, we'll be looked at. We have quit, that has now ended. We will speak out. That was passed and the way that was written and celebrated by legislatures and governors. It was, it was more of a, uh, of a show of power and, 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 and really disrespectful towards police um, because police aren't the bad people, but the way they wrote this legislation, the way they celebrated it, it's like they were pointing their finger and saying, hey, you know, you police officers are bad, and that's why we did this. We're in the midst of three crises. I think we all know these crises. Public health crisis, an economic crisis, and a crisis with systemic racism, particularly in law enforcement. But the crisis of 16, not, not just COVID-19, but the crisis of 1619. With that white lion, the, that, that boat, that ship, that, that, that brought that scourge to the shores of this country, the white lion plague that continues to plague this country. What I would say to opponents, and I would say to everyone who is listening to this, to listen to our speech, be able to distinguish and separate systemic racism from you being racist. We are not calling, we, there is, we are not calling you racist by challenging systemic racism. They are two very different things. Acknowledge that systemic racism means that advantages have been built into systems that hold other people's back, that other people back and lift other people up. That is, that is what we are challenging by challenging systemic racism. The police reform bill is the final measure former House Speaker Michael Madigan sent to the governor's desk. 
Madigan leaves Springfield as the longest standing House Speaker in American history. He was in elected office more than 50 years, but his replacement left office after barely 50 hours. My name is Edward Guerra Kodat, and I am honored to present to you why I believe I am the best and strongest candidate for the 22nd District. On Sunday, um, and then I would accept a, uh, a motion. Michael Madigan appointed 26-year-old Eddie Kodat to replace him in Springfield. My successor. But just two days later, after learning of alleged questionable conduct, Madigan asked Kodat to resign from Springfield and his constituent services office, saying we are committed to a zero tolerance policy in the workplace. And as soon as they found out, they obviously had massive egg on their face and they took corrective action immediately. But I'm sure if they could go back in time, they would have done a better job of vetting. Comptroller Susana Mendoza called on Kodat not to collect the full month's salary for two days work. $5,788. Because of this archaic law that exists, uh, unfortunately, the state of Illinois requires that any member of the legislature get paid for an entire month, even if they only work for one single day. That doesn't seem fair in any universe. At a press event in Champaign, Governor Pritzker said state lawmakers should consider how they fill vacant seats in the state house moving forward. Making sure that we're picking good representatives and good senators, that is very important. So I think it's worthy of review. Madigan replaced Kodat Thursday with a new candidate, but would not elaborate on the accusations against him. I think the proper questions were asked. Proper questions were asked. So when you say questions were asked, does that mean the answers were not truthful? No, I, I'm, see, I'm not going to get into that. I, I'm just not going to speak. When, you know, when did you first learn about the... A little, a little bit ago. A little bit ago. And on Monday, in Effingham, Republican State Senator Darren Bailey launched his bid for governor. Pause for a moment and let's celebrate the end of the era of Mike Madigan. <laughs> When we come back, longtime prosecutor in Cook County, now a Republican state senator, John Curran, joins us. He says he supports the idea of ending cash bail with one major exception. That's next. You're watching Capital Connection from the Illinois State Capitol. Welcome back. Supporters of the police reform and criminal justice measure that Governor Pritzker signed into law this week acknowledge that there are still some things they'd like to change and improve in this legislation before uh, it starts to take effect two, three, and four years from now as this ramp up process begins to change how police interact with citizens and how the courts deal with people before their trial. Joining us now is State Senator John Curran from his law offices in Oak Brook. Uh, it's good to have you with uh, with us, Senator Kern. Mark, very nice to be with you. Thank you. Uh, you were a former uh, prosecutor in Cook County for uh, prosecuting crimes for six years, also working in the Civil Rights Division uh, for many years before that. Uh, so, so I understand you're familiar with how this looks on the ground. So far, a lot of the debate has been theoretical, talking about values of, of human life and the interaction with police uh, and, and this issue of ending systemic racism. Uh, how do you evaluate uh, the, the, the law that is now on the books from your perspective, net positive? 
you know, when you there's it's an 800 page bill, there is positive. But when you talk net in application, there were a lot of problems with it. And, and if it doesn't work, work in application, um, then we, we then I would say it's a net negative. And that's really uh, some of the work that we're continuing to do now because uh, all the law enforcement officials rightfully point out that this bill, the language in the actual bill, when you go to implement it, doesn't work. So let's get into some of the specifics of that because uh, we have heard pushback from police and prosecutors, but on the cash bail side, one prosecutor uh, from uh, the Champaign area, a former prosecutor, now State Senator uh, Scott Bennett, made the case that when this debate started, he was opposed to ending cash bail. But here's what he said on Wednesday. And I will tell you, I did not start out as a proponent for ending cash bail. Um, I, uh, like a lot of people, said, well, I feel a lot safer if everybody is, uh, you know, in, in custody and then we figure things out as we wait, we wait trial. But what I've learned through both being a prosecutor, being the chair of the Senate Criminal Law Committee, and serving on the Supreme Court Commission that's uh, also a member of, uh, as was mentioned, Leader Ammons and Senator Sims, is that cash bail doesn't keep anybody any safer. That doesn't do anything other than maybe lose that person their job or if they're uh, perhaps a single parent, uh, up, uproot the family and try to figure out who's going to have custody of a small child while they try to figure out until payday how they're going to get that money. All right, Senator Curran, I want to get your reaction to that. And I would just add a, a fact that this country incarcerates or imprisons more people per capita than Russia, than China, than North Korea, than Iran. We are the world's leader in putting people in jail. Couldn't this be one path toward changing that. You, you know, Mark, I agree with Senate, my colleague, Senator Bennett, uh, on the premise that cash bail is not an equitable system. And moving away from that is, is a positive. But the system you move to matters. And it needs to maintain that level of integrity and public safety. And that's where this bill fails. Um, I came out um, in favor of the New Jersey model on pretrial detention, which moved away from cash bail. That has a broad detention statute in which a prosecutor, when there is a heightened risk of concern for public safety or a particular individual, can bring a motion to detain before the judge on any charged crime. In this instance, in what we pass in Illinois, it is narrow. We have taken many felonies off the table in which the judge or the prosecutor cannot bring forth or make the case that an individual should be detained pre-trial. But the ones who can, correct me if I'm wrong, are those who ha are, are suspected or accused of committing forcible felonies. Isn't that the distinguishing line here, those who were violent and those who were not? Force, if it was just that, Mark, forcible felonies, this debate would be over. However, it's forcible felonies that are not eligible for probation, uh, intermittent uh, sentencing or some some alternative alternative to in custody upon conviction, mandatory prison sentence upon conviction. Um, the, uh, the individual is not eligible for that pretrial detention hearing, with some exceptions into the bill. What are, what are some examples of those crimes? Um, aggravated uh, battery. Um, uh, is one example, which is a forcible felony and aggravated uh, battery, aggravated, um, uh, you know, Mark, I, I apologize. I, I... I know, I'm putting you on the spot here. 
Yeah, uh, but I, I guess let's talk about aggravated battery. So aggravated battery is a perfect example. It is probation eligible. That's determined on facts and circumstances by the judge. However, up front, because it's probation eligible, not going to have an opportunity to um, make that determination uh, on pre-trial um, under this bill. So it, if we does, took the New Jersey approach, uh -huh. we, we would give judges broad discretion. It is best to give judges discretion in exercising um, you know, caution and safety with the facts and circumstances in front of them rather than tying their hands from Springfield. That's what the Illinois model does that the New Jersey model does not. One of the curious things about this law, too, is that it includes something which is yet to be developed, so it's hard to evaluate, but they're, they're discussing this risk assessment tool. I understand it to be some sort of an algorithm or some sort of an equation that uh, they would put together and give to the courts and say, uh, you know, Your Honor, here's this risk assessment that somehow using some data we've, we've formulated a risk assessment on this suspect, and that information might inform the judge whether or not to put a person behind bars or let them go pre-trial. Uh, what should go into these metrics? Well, we've been using risk assessments in Illinois uh, for a while and they're, they're used nationally. And I sit on the uh, commission that the Illinois Supreme Court uh, uh, has impaneled to look at implementation of this bill um, not, now that it has passed. Those risk assessment tools take a variety of fact, uh, factors into account, including the actual crime charge, background, and, and other characteristics and assessments of the um, of the offender or the, uh, the the charged individual. So it's broad based. We don't have one ready to go yet on on this model, but but that work is being done and being led by the uh, Illinois Supreme Court. Let's let's start with some some basics here. Do we have a problem with systemic racism? We have a historical problem with systemic racism in, in, in this state and in this country. How we approach that in, in, in rectifying it, we need to do it in a very measured manner that, that does not jeopardize public safety. Um, there's no reason that, that we can't do both, maintain public safety and address uh, systemic racism at the same time. And it seems like that debate continues because, again, as the, the supporters of this law have said, they're open. Uh, Attorney General Raul uh, giving his uh, pledge that he wants to continue working with prosecutors, with police, with different interest groups to make sure that uh, this isn't the final product, that there are still uh, more avenues discussed and explored here. So, so you acknowledge there's a problem, and, and, but you want to see more input. Okay, so what, how do we get at it? What, what are the fixes? What would you do? So, so Mark, uh, on Thursday, I have a meeting with um, members of law enforcement and the bill sponsor, Senator Sims, and um, some community groups to do just that, to start the process on specific language and fixes uh, to this bill on implementation um, to get law enforcement's involved, involvement in, in it and, and also importantly, buy it into it as they need to implement this. So uh, the bill sponsor is someone I've, I've worked with very well in the past, will continue to work well with. Um, he's, he's open to this, he wants their ideas, he wants their, he wants their specific language. The language is being put together and um, you know the key points are gonna be centered around use of force, um, the, uh, the, the body camera uh, language, specifically on prohibiting an officer from viewing their body camera footage prior to writing their, their police report. Um, that is something law enforcement is a big problem with, as well as 
what we've already talked about, which is the now pretrial detention uh, hearing standards moving away from cash bail. I do want to get your perspective on the use of force language. I understand you were uh, closely involved with uh, police officer firing uh, practices and when the use of force was, especially your experience in the civil rights defense side of this here uh, in Cook County. There are split second decisions that officers have to make in close encounters and that's a dangerous and precarious situation to be in, no doubt. Let's listen to what Senator Sims said on Wednesday about how this law would restrain or restrict police officers in that moment. It calls for an individual to look at the sanctity of human life. The exercise of uh, a force is an important thing, and they have to, and police officers have to recognize that. Uh, but, but also looking at the totality of the circumstances. And that's what I get back to having an individual look at not just every, in, not just every person they encounter as a suspect. The training is so critically important. You can't train away someone's racist heart. You can't train away, can't, can't train away implicit bias, but you can hold up a mirror to that. That's why the, the training that will allow someone to understand and challenge those, those, those internal decisions for themselves, those internal feelings for themselves is so critically important. All right, Senator Curran, you heard from Senator Sims there. What, what do you say and, and how, how do you want to see police officers approach those situations? You know, in those situations, the problem that police officers have with, with, with the language here is, is the terminology, which are now would be the standards that they have to meet in those analysis. We have to make sure police officers are able to respond um, to the situation in front, of, in front of them. They use the word immediate. Immediacy has a very specific legal meaning. And, you know, we don't think immediacy or immediate um, in terms of a threat to act, um, physical harm, great, grave physical harm or death is quite the right standard. And because an officer, I mean, when you think about that, and so, someone with a knife charging at an officer, they are trained that if they don't start drawing their weapon to defend themselves before that individual gets within 20 feet, that 20 foot radius of the officer, it is too late. It is physically impossible at that point to pull the weapon out and, and defend themselves with that knife wielding subject coming at them. So when you interject a word like immediate into that um, equation now, you are changed that whole dynamic in terms of the officer engaging in these situations. So this is really um, the types of um, specific language uh, topics we need to discuss and, and come to agreement on to make sure it's actually applicable in the field. We understand what Senator Sims wants to accomplish. We understand the policy objective, and that is now the, the law in Illinois. But we have to make sure that policy objective actually has application in the field for these uh, men and women of law enforcement and does not subject them to excessive harm in, in, in effectuating their duties. So that, that, that's where we need to come together on this. Yeah, a fascinating intersection in the theory of law and the application of justice. Uh, we look forward to uh, tuning in as this debate continues. Senator John Curran, thank you for joining us. Mark, very nice to be with you, thank you. We're back in just a moment with House Democrat Marcus Evans and an interesting idea he wants to approach in finding a way to curb the rash of carjackings in Chicago. That's next. You're watching Capital Connection from the Illinois State Capitol. The recent surge in crime in Chicago has one particularly interesting element, a rise in carjackings 
has police and residents uh, particularly concerned. Joining us now is a House Democrat with some ideas to curb this recent rash of carjackings. House Democrat Marcus Evans from the southeast side of Chicago. Good, good to have you with us. Thank you so much. It's good to be here, Mark. Uh, first of all, this has been a really interesting time this year. We've got the coronavirus, the business closures, the uh, so much of what we've come to know uh, in life being disrupted. Add on top of that, the summer of social unrest we saw, the protest, and then there was the retail theft. Do you see some connection between all of that leading up to this carjacking surge, or how do you describe it? Yeah, well, I see a frustration uh, amongst uh, the masses of citizens uh, with their situations, but, you know, there's never one solution to the problem because, you know, I think that the human humans and individuals in society are complex and people have different reasons why they participate in activities. So I think we got to analyze all the different reasons, but I think, you know, uh, those problems definitely have created some of the things that we're dealing with. You, ha you filed a bill recently in Springfield here to ban the sale of games, video games like Grand Theft Auto. What's the thinking there? Yeah, and it wasn't to specifically uh, target one game. It's just that that game would fit the description of a game that I'm describing. Um, you know, should we have video games in which you go around and you know, attack people, kill people, and, and steal cars? It does that normalize the behavior for teenagers, not for people like me and you. I mean, we're you know we're, we're uh, well-developed adults. But it's really about how does it impact young people and what are our standards? I think we live in a society where will we have a game where you would, will we have a slavery game, will we have anti-Semitic games, will we have domestic violence games? At what point, what do we accept in this society? Because you know, if you look at the insurgents that happened at the Capitol, you know, we don't accept that. And I think as a society, we should definitely uh, think about the things that we, we accept and we don't accept. Carjacking is a very, very violent crime. It must stop. Uh, it's terrorizing people in my community. So I'm trying to think about ideas uh, to connect to those who are carjacking and get them to stop doing it. It's just an interesting idea because where do you then draw the line? It, it sort of gets into this creative space where there's creative license. If you look at, uh, there, there are some, I mean, we, we've had, our, our country has had debates like this. I mean, a big time in the 80s with the moral majority and, and what kind of music or entertainment or, or movies are out there that might excite certain passions or imaginations. It seems like you're touching on, on a similar rail here. No, well, only I would say is uh, those folks in those conversations back then uh, yielded what we have today. We have freedom of expression with limitations. We, we, we don't have porn on Channel 7, so we don't just let anything happen, right? We, we still have limitations and standards and boundaries in our society, even amongst the, what we have. Now, there, there's always censorship, even on social media. I think we want that. We don't want to project certain things because we don't want the result of that. We don't want to normalize domestic violence, so we don't support domestic violence. We, don't, we, we were not normalizing women's rights. A generation prior, women's rights were not prioritized. So even this Black Lives Matter movement is a reflection of the growth of our generation. So, so I love, clearly as an African-American, I'm 36 years old. I grew up with video games. I grew up in a society of liberalism, and I'm a liberal person. But we always got to decide what in which we will accept. Right now, carjacking is a very, very serious, dangerous crime. You know, you think about carjacking, it is a financial crime. Carjacking is an uh, emotional crime, and it's also a, a deviant crime of deviancy. And we got to stop it. And we have to make sure that it's clear that we don't support it in any way. 
And I think uh, the video game could potentially be skewing that view for some young folk, or maybe not. That's why you mm -hmm. file because we have these discussions. You know? Sure, and we'll watch that debate as it unfolds, uh, should that uh, occur here in Springfield. Uh, one of the things that has perplexed uh, law enforcement about this rash of carjackings is that rarely are they in pursuit of the value of the car. It's more the notoriety they can get on social media. That, that's my understanding, at least, is that some of this is in pursuit of individual accolades. Um, I wonder, you sit on the board of the IHSA. Uh, the, the governing authority that runs high school sports in Illinois. Do you think that we would have this rash of carjackings with uh, teenagers uh, seeking these individual accolades or notoriety on social media if we had sports open this last year? Yeah, I think, see that, that's the, and that gets to the point of why I found this bill. There's never a solution. There's no omnibus, you know, omnipresent solution to any problem. There's always different problems whether it's weight loss, whether it's people with cancer, some folks is hereditary, some folks is uh, it's the environment, some folks is what they eat. So we have to have different solutions for different children. So yes, I, I supported getting the kids back to play sports. I'm also a high school uh, basketball official. I'm a licensed high school basketball official. So I talked to the mayor of Chicago. We have CPS basketball to start back, of course, throughout the state they've already started. So basketball is important. If you're a you know, religious person or you, you look to the Bible or look to any quotes of positivity, you know, idle minds is the devil's workshop. And I believe that. I believe we have to have our children busy. But some of it is mental health. We have to also send a message to our children that this may be a game. And again, we can keep the Grand Theft Auto a violent game. But we have to send a message as adults that this is unacceptable behavior. And it must remain on the television. It must remain in the video game. Because there's no reset button after you hijack somebody in real life, but there's a reset button on those games. So if we're going to have something that's dangerous or that's questionable, the message has to be clear to our young people. This is unacceptable. Like you're saying, many of these cars are being recovered. They're not even carjacking for the monetary value of the vehicle. So why are they doing it? Because maybe they believe this is acceptable behavior. So I want to bring notice that carjacking is unacceptable and it has to stop. Mm -hmm. And we, we've talked uh, at some length with uh, many legislators, especially in the Black Caucus, after the, the passage of this police reform measure, the criminal justice measure. Um, why was this important to you personally? Uh, some, some of these issues that, that we've discussed at here, uh, there, there's a, a long history in our country of reacting. Uh, in the 90s, it was the crime bill after there was a spike in, in crime now. And do, do you think that there's a similar panic or in some in the minds of some policymakers today with with a recent surge in crime it's certainly not at the levels it was back then but uh, some of this debate does have a lot of the uh, some raw nerves there what what uh what issues do you see as most pressing in in bringing us to where we are with passing this uh criminal justice and police reform measure yeah first of all i supported the measure because if you look at it it was about how do we improve the relationship between the community and the police. 99.9% .9 of police officers are wonderful, but there's a small percentage of citizens who take the job of police for some deviant purpose. That is the problem. How do you root those folks out? That was a part of this bill, police accountability. How do we say we love the 99.9% .9 of the police, but we must root out the bad police officers who choose to use the badge to terrorize black and brown communities? That is happening. That was a part of this bill. The second piece was 
we want to keep criminals and bad deviant people in jail, but good people who made mistakes, we want to give them a second opportunity. That is criminal justice reform. You do something wrong and you're a good person, give you an opportunity. But again, these terrible criminals won't lock them up. Bail reform is all about that. If you're a nice poor person, you're going to stay in jail. If you're a bad rich person, you get out. That's not fair. So bail should not determine whether or not you're free to roam as a citizen, but what you did, the merits of your terrible act should determine that. And a judge can keep a good rich person in jail. That was what this bill was about. And also, again, just cleaning up some of the issues in criminal justice, forging a relationship between community and the police. I love the police. People in my community love the police, but we don't like bad police officers because they kill people and they terrorize folks. Very interesting discussion with House Democrat Marcus Evans. Thank you for joining us. I should note, I don't know if there's a connection between your bill and Springfield, uh, but there is a dramatic rise in the stock market on GameStop uh, as we're recording this interview. So perhaps uh, there's a surge uh, before they see the, uh, some favorite games go off the shelves there. I don't know if there's a connection. Yeah, well, again, it was not my intention. I have no interest in affecting the stock market. Uh, all I want to do is positively affect my community and, uh, and, and have people think it. I think as elected officials, we filed bills to pass them, but it's really about the discussion. We bring, and, and thank you so much, Mark, because we bring together thoughts. This bill may not advance, maybe people reject it, but the thought and the discussion, I think, is much more important than the actual passage of a bill, and I really believe that. All right, Representative Evans, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. All the best to you. We're back in just a moment. Stick around. That does it for us this week. Thank you for joining us. You can catch our full extended interviews up on our website and a new podcast if you're out on the road, available on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. Search Capital Connection to get the full conversations there. We hope to see you at the same time next week. For Capital Connection, I'm Mark Maxwell. Stay connected to the Capitol all week. Follow us on Twitter at CapConnectIL or watch reports from our Capitol team on WCIA3. You can also find us on Facebook or WCIA.com.